I am excited for today. I've been thinking about this message for a while. Um, every, every few months, I try to pepper in a, a, a talk like this where we sort of take a moment and look at the vision and the life of our church and remind our own hearts about why we're doing what we're doing here. What, what's the point of all this? Why do we go to the effort of setting all this up and putting all this stuff together? Why do we go to the effort to, to, to you know, pay the money to rent this space, to rent, you know, what, why, why do we go to the trouble? Um, what, is, what, is, what is the meaning of church and who were we as Westside? Um, that's what I want to do today. Um, but uh, I wanted to say uh, it's good to be back. I was gone last Sunday up with family. Um, it was really, really fun. I, uh, uh, I ran into a guy at Walmart, and he, we were, uh, he was walking by me, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he kind of gave me the look like he knew me, but he didn't know me. But he stopped, and he was like, hey, do you hunt? <laughs> and I was like, no, but I'm glad I look like I do, though. <laughs> and seriously, he saw the beard, and he was like, he's like, that guy must hunt. And he's going to ask me like a hunting question. Uh, I should have just pretended like I do hunt, but um, no, I don't hunt. And then the other, there's a fun, funny story from our family for Christmas is we got Jeremiah this, uh, this, uh, this board game called Labyrinth. And he opened it, and he didn't, he, he's not familiar with that word. It's a new word. So he opens it up, and this is Christmas morning, and he opens it up, and he sees Labyrinth, and he's like, Lady Birth? <laughs> he goes, Mom, Dad, this game is really inappropriate. <laughs> Oh man. Uh, okay, hey, before I dive in, I gotta give I gotta give a, a heads up about next week. Next week, what I do, what we do as a church every January is we take just a few Sundays um, at the beginning of the year, and I felt like it's a good time to um, sort of ante up again and and remind ourselves of why we trust this. We're gonna spend a, we spend a lot of time here over over uh, the course of the year. Every Sunday, we open up the scriptures. And we pull a scripture out and we learn what we can from it. And I feel like it's a good time at the beginning of the year to sort of remind ourselves, can we trust this? Because, you know, there's so much skepticism surrounding this. And in fact, by the way, if you've got, if, if you're skeptical about, can we really trust this? And how do we know that it's accurate? And um, You need to come these next two weeks, next week and the week after that. And if you have any friends who maybe this is one of their big issues, they're super skeptical about the Bible and I don't know. And like, don't other religions have their holy books? And so what makes this holy book better than their holy? You know, there's a lot of really, really important, good questions that we've all wrestled with. But you might have some friends that this is sort of their issue. And they don't maybe consider themselves church people. But this would be a great opportunity to say, hey, at, at my church, our pastor, he's going to, in a, in a real just sort of, you know, uh, you know low-key, easy, you know, a way, he's going to explain like why, we, why this matters so much to us. Um, and I hope it would be really helpful to all of us and to some of your friends that might be skeptical. But that's what we're going to do for, those, for these next two weeks as we start 2019. Um, but I was uh, contemplating. I was thinking about, um, you know, we spent a lot of time buying stuff this, this holiday season. You've been in a lot of stores looking at products. And I was thinking about, think about in the context of consumer products, okay? Um, what matters more, the substance or the packaging? Think about this question. When it comes to consumer products, what matters more, the substance or the packaging? Okay, um, there's a couple ways you could think about this, right? On one hand, on one hand, um, you could argue that that substance is the most important, 
is the most important thing, the product that you're putting out there. You might have the, great, the best packaging, but substance is the most important. You could argue that for sure. Um, because this is true, we know this, is that great packaging with mediocre substance will just disappoint, right? We've all bought the thing and it looked like it was gonna be amazing. And then we open it up and it was not amazing, right? Um, and this is super disappointing. Although on the flip side, think about this, great substance Think about this, great substance, but with mediocre packaging, then that will just get missed. There's probably some really great products on the shelf that nobody's buying because the packaging isn't very good at all, right? And so we're just, we're just missing it. Uh, I took the opportunity to, uh, to look up some uh, pack packaging fails on the internet for you, okay? So um, here's a couple that I thought were fun. Um, I don't know if you can see this, but this says 100% uh, um, beef, all white meat chicken. You get that? All right, here, check this one out. This one was funny because they, uh, this, company, this company thought that, like, t they were going to, it's battered milk. And they thought, I know, we'll take the word battered and milk and we'll just put it together and it'll be an amazing product. But you can see that's definitely not something that you or I are going to buy. Um, oh, yeah, this one is self-explanatory. I don't even need to talk about that one. It's just a bad idea all around. Okay, moving on. Um, oh, this is funny. This is just, like, redundancy at its best finest, right? It's just kind of why package a fruit that already has a package? Um, here's another one. Oh, this one is brutal. This one is so mean, all right? You know, you see those, those sandwiches packaged up, and you can see, like, on the left, the, the label, it looks like it's just packed full of meat, and then you open it up. Those tricky people put all the meat on the one side, just like this next one, too. This one is very, very similar. Open up the pizza, and there's no pepperoni. Um, uh, this next one is real interesting. I don't know if you can see this, but this is an ad, ad for, for Bic. It's for Women's Day. Happy Women's Day. And it says, look like a girl, act like a lady, think like a man, and work like a boss. Think like a man? <laughs> like who thought of that ad campaign? That is so demeaning towards women, right? Happy, happy Women's Day. But really, we want you to look like a woman, but think like a man. Uh, and then this one is my favorite probably. Homemade, jam, black raspberry, tastes like grandma. Um, we can all agree, we can all agree that um, sort of, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Substance versus packaging. You can have great substance, but if there's bad packaging, nobody's gonna get the substance. But you can have an incredible packaging, but if you don't have the substance, then that's just super disappointing. So you think about that when it comes to consumer products. Now I want you to think about it in, in the context of our church or in the church of Jesus Christ in general. But really, just think about maybe more just the context of our church. What's most important? Is it the substance or the packaging? And the answer would be both. Yes, the answer is yes. What's most important? Yes, both of those. Um, so this morning, if you're, if you're sort of like visiting our church or you're kind of checking us out, honestly, this is one of the best Sundays to come because I'm just going to take a few minutes and look at a passage of scripture from the book of 2 Corinthians. And it's a passage of scripture that has um, most informed my view of what the church of Jesus Christ should be all about. And it's impacted most 
our view, our, our team's view of what our church should be known for and be about. So if you're sort of checking out churches, and maybe this is one of the churches you've, you, uh, you know, you, you've landed on today, this is the perfect time to come, because you're going to sort of get an inside look and, and, and sort of be a fly on the wall in this sort of discussion that we're having together on what kind of church do we want to be? What do we want to be known for? How, how are we going to get this done? What's, what's the point of what we're doing? Um, and if you're here and you've been skeptical about church and like, ah, oh, they're just out for people's money or, you know, they just, you know, they're, I, I don't know, whatever your perception is of what this is all about or what's kept you away. I hope, I hope today just as we as a church talk about and look at this passage of scripture and remind our own selves about why this matters and what we're doing here. I hope it's so helpful. This is from, like I said, 2 Corinthians this is the second letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's answering tons of questions for them. He's reminding them about, um, about the truth of uh, Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And, um, and the context is Paul, the apostle Paul. His name wasn't always Paul. His name used to be Saul. And Saul was one of the biggest opponents of the early Christians um, back when the movement started, back when Jesus, he lives and he rises from the dead. And now there's this group of empowered people that are spreading this news that Jesus is alive. And Paul was a Pharisee. And what that means is he was, he was sort of at the top of his, he was like the Navy SEALs of the religious order of his day. And he hears about these Christians, about this Jesus, and he says, no, that's, we're going to stamp that out. That's wrong. And so, um, you know, Paul is influential in, in throwing Christians in prison and, and stoning them to death in some instances. And so Paul is, is uh, unconvinced that Jesus is Lord. But something happens in Saul's life. Something happens. He has this experience, and you can read about it in the book of Acts. But he has this experience where suddenly everything's different for him. And in a very short amount of time, he goes from being um, completely unforget, uh, uh, unconvinced to absolutely convinced and becomes one of the most influential leaders, missionaries, Christian thinkers um, of all time. And this is Paul. This is him writing to this church in Corinth. And here's what he says. If you've been around Westside for any amount of time, you've heard me preach on this passage several times. And I just, I'm looking at it with some fresh eyes this morning. Um, here's what it says. It says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. And I love that line. It's not, Christ's love doesn't just comfort us. Christ's love isn't, isn't just, uh, isn't just, Christ's love doesn't just convert us. Christ's love, it does even more than that. It compels us. Christ's love compels us. It's a verb. Because, because, he goes on, because we are convinced, and Paul needed some convincing. Um, and, he, and it took this radical experience in his life for him to be convinced of this. And he goes on. He goes, we were, we, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And what he's saying here is he's saying that uh, we were as good as dead, that we were lost in our own sinfulness, lost in our own rebelliousness, and lost in our own pride and religiosity, that we're sort of dead. But what Jesus did was he included everyone sort of in his death so that we could all be included in his resurrection life. We were all as good as dead, but um, therefore all died. And here he goes on. And he died for all that those who should live or those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In other words, Jesus says, 
Jesus takes the first step. Um, he doesn't wait for us to come to him. He makes the first move. All right, that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. That's what we just got finished celebrating. He made the first move. Therefore, if he made the first move, if he takes the first step, if he offers grace, then the people who follow him, then we sort of pick up that mantle and we become people who no longer live for ourselves, but we look at our lives differently now. We look at our lives and say, no, 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 now my life isn't just about making a paycheck and now my life isn't just about just finding happiness, that those things are fine and good, but my life is, is, is wrapped up in a bigger story now. My life now gets to be leveraged to be able to serve others and reach others. It's a radical, radical sort of transformation of what it looks like to be a human being. Because it's, it's natural and normal for us to be selfish, to look out for number one, to look at moi. But what the gospel does when it really takes root in your heart is it changes you. It, it fo- now you look and you say, now it's not about me, it's about how, how can I serve others? And this informs how a church functions. You think about this. Here's this question. Who is, when we gather on a Sunday, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend mostly about our gatherings together. But we know that church is so much bigger than just our gatherings on Sundays. The church is way bigger than that. It's way better than that. But when you think about it, when we gather on Sunday morning, who are these gatherings for? Are these gatherings for insiders or for outsiders? Are the, I'll put it another way. Are these gatherings for members or for non-members? Who are these gather, gatherings catered for? Is it for? Is it for the people who are already in? Is it the p- people uh, that have yet to be reached? Now the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> the answer to that question is, is both. Both. But here's what you know and here's what I know. And everybody who's been a part of a church for a long time, maybe you, you, you know this, but maybe you didn't put it this way, is this, is this is difficult because the gravitational pull, the gravitational pull of every church is to become a church for church people. The gravitational pull of every church is to become a church for the people who are already here. The gravitational pull of every church is to focus on the needs and the the interests of the people here, and it's easy to lose sight of all the people who have yet to be reached. That's just what happens. It just happens naturally. It's just just something that you have have to keep an eye on. Otherwise, before you know it, you've created this church that's for insiders, and outsiders come, and they have no idea what's going on. Um, this happens this way is because, see, you're here, and you've, you've been here a while. You know where to park. You know where you like to sit. Um, in fact, on Christmas Eve, I was, I was here, and like, so, you know, there's was, there was somebody that came in to go sit in their spot, but somebody had put down some reserve, you know, like reserve some seats, and they like go to their spot where they normally sit, and they're like, oh, uh-uh. This is where I sit. You know, everybody's got their thing. You, if you've got kids, you know right where to take them. You know the, you know, the, the people to talk to when you need something. Um, and you've been here long enough to it's like, yeah, I like it when they do that song. Or I don't really like it when they do that song. Or how come people aren't clapping? Or like, oh, it's awkward when people clap. You know, whatever, whatever sort of your thing is. And what happens in churches so easily is the leadership of churches uh, too often, too often are hearing all this feedback. And it's not bad feedback. You know, we're fine with feedback. But who are you getting feedback from? You're getting feedback from the people who are here. 
And so what church leaders do is then they start making decisions based off of the needs and the people who are here because, you know, we don't want to take anybody off and we don't want anybody to leave and we certainly don't want people to stop giving because then we won't be able to rent the space. And so we need to keep everybody here happy. We need to make sure everybody gets what they need and are you okay? Are you okay? And suddenly now the gravitational pull has gripped you and now you've become a church just for insiders. Now, churches for insiders, they hope this is your community, hope this is your place. But listen, listen, church has got to be so much more for that. Because who's going to, do you know, do you know why a lot of churches aren't, aren't sort of, um, you know, equipped to reach those out here or those out there is because those out there, they're, they're not here. <laughs> they, they're not a squeaky wheel. They're not saying what they like and don't like. So who's going to speak up for them? Who, who in a church, who in a church is going to say, listen, our church is for insiders, but man, we are going to do everything we can to remove any barrier we can so that when someone comes, they feel like they can belong. They feel like they know what's going on. They feel like that this is a welcoming place for them. How are we going to reach them? Somebody's got to be thinking about them. Somebody's got to be giving them a voice. That's what a church has to do to resist that gravitational pull. And so we've been working at that as a church. We want to be that kind of church. And I feel like we've made some really, really great headway. But this is what Paul is talking about. He says that our lives are supposed to be leveraged not just for us, not just for insiders, but for the world. And then he goes on. And then he says this. He says, um, verse 16. So from, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in church, the new creation has come. Now, I've totally made that last part up, okay? Um, it doesn't say that at all. Um, it says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. I put that in there because when I was reading, I've, I've read this passage so many times. And I, when I got there, I was like, oh, it's so interesting that it doesn't say that therefore every, anyone who's in church, the new creation has come. Because isn't there a difference between, in, between being in church and being in Christ? There's a difference, right? There's an, there's an important difference. Um, how many of us know that it's absolutely possible, in fact, in fact happens all the time, where we, you can be in church every week and not be in Christ, right? Happens all the time. In fact, maybe that's one of the things where you met somebody who was in church, but they weren't in Christ, and you could tell by their life, and you said, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And that's one of the things that made you push it away for so long. Now, the opposite is also semi-true, semi-true, is it's... You can be in Christ but not be in church. Now that is, that is semi-true, semi but I'm saying semi because it's a very sort of hip and vogue thing nowadays in our culture to, be, to say, I'm a Christian, I'm spiritual, I follow Jesus, but oh, organ, organized religion, like organized church, no. Especially in Eugene, right? That's definitely a thing here. Oh. And so people are, you know, like I'm just going to sort of do my own thing, but I don't need church. But man, if, if that's... You go too far and then now suddenly you're taking one of the most essential things about being a Christian is, is, is what Jesus does and what the gospel does is that he brings the in Christ and in church and not just in church on a Sunday but being part of a community. He brings those two things together. They're so vitally important. And Paul is saying, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
Then it goes on. The old has gone and the new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And now he's getting to the message, the good news of the gospel. And he says that we were irreconcilable, that we were separated from God from our sin. And God took the first step, and what he did is he adopted us into his family. He reconciled our relationship, the thing that we couldn't do by all of our good behavior, the thing that we couldn't do by all of our church attendance and, you know, and all of our good works, that he is the one that reconciled our relationship to him through what he did for us on the cross. Our, now our relationship is reconciled. And that's what we sang about at Christmas time. God and sinners reconciled. And that transforms you. If you let that penny drop, if you realize that you, your relationship is reconciled to God, that he has called you a son and daughter, that will transform everything about you. And it'll make the difference between you giving your heart to Jesus, or sorry, it'll, it'll make the difference rather of you accepting Jesus into your heart, or rather giving your heart to Jesus. One of the language, some of the language that we use around here is uh, we, it's, it's okay to say, ask Jesus into your heart. Um, you know, and I know that language makes sense to, especially to kids, you know, why don't you just ask Jesus into your heart? You've heard that language before, perhaps. Um, and I'm fine with that language, but we try to avoid that language at our church just because I think there's better language. Because when you invite Jesus into your heart, it's like, hey, Jesus, come into my heart. I've got a room for you up on the second floor. It's across from the bathroom. And, but, and can you just kind of sort of like stay there? Just stay in that part. But hey, can you stay out of my office? And could you stay out of my garage? Because those are my areas. But we've got a really nice area set up for you, Jesus. And we often do that. We compartmentalize. So I think better language is, no, we're not asking Jesus into our heart. We are surrendering. We're surrendering our whole hearts to Jesus because he has reconciled himself to us. And then he goes on, and then it gets better. And it gets better. It says that he, he reconciled us to himself through Christ, and, and he gave us the ministry of doing church services. No, that's not what it says, right? I made up another piece. Because remember... Man, it's so much bigger. Church services are so great, but it's so much bigger than that, so much better than that. Listen to this. Reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of, wait for it. Is it there, Ben? Do you have it? You don't have it. Oh, good. Reconciliation. Wow, it's so beautiful. He reconciled us to him, so therefore he has given us the ministry of reconciliation with others. It's beautiful. He's given us a task. The church has a mission. Most churches have a missions department. And that's a little weird because the whole point of church is the mission. He's given us a mission and it's so much bigger than us. And here's the, the message that we get to proclaim as the church. And this is beautiful. Verse 19. And here and the, the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling not just, not just church people but the world. God wasn't reconciling just, just insiders. No. But the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Oh, that is such good news. We feel so much shame in our lives, so much by just this, and it's this weight we carry around with us. 
And there couldn't be better news that a human being could hear in their life. That this God is not up there waiting with a lightning bolt trying to strike you down. He's not, he doesn't have this big hammer ready to whack you down for every little thing that you do wrong. No, we've got a God who has given us all the grace in the world through Jesus Christ. Therefore, he does not count your sins against you. Because Christ bore your sin on the cross for you and rose again, defeating death. That is the best news. You don't, you don't have to live with that weight of shame because Christ took it for you. That is great, great, great news. That's the message of reconciliation. Um, and then he goes on. And he has committed to us, again, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ, get this, ambassadors. Ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. This is just insane. God not only reconciles us, but then gives us the ministry of reconciliation, but then he calls us his ambassadors. On this planet, we, the church of Jesus, get to be his ambassadors. What's an ambassador? Ambassador is sort of a, is you're from one country, but you're living in another country, and you're learning the, the, the culture, and the, you know, you're eating the food, and you're involved in that country, but you represent your country of origin. And you're in this new country, and you're representing your country to this new country that you live in. And God's saying, this is how I want you to live. I want you to live as my ambassadors, as though I am making my appeal through you. God, what were you thinking? What were you thinking that you would put us in charge of being your hands and feet in the world? God, it just seems like God would have had a better plan than that, right? That he would have just sort of come down and just sort of done it himself because he can do it way better than us, you know? Or he would have made like sort of like maybe some robots would have done a better job than us, you know? Um, I don't know. God could have created all sorts of other ways, but yet he looks at us broken, frail people who tend to be hip hypocritical. We've got these, these things going on in our hearts. And he says, no, listen, I am going to inhabit you and I'm going to give you the ministry of reconciliation, and I'm going to allow you the privilege of being my ambassadors here on earth as if I'm making my appeal through you. Every wedding I do, every single wedding I do, here's what I, here's what I say. I'm doing the wedding, and it's end of the end of the, like, the little talk that I do, read a scripture, and then I look at the guy. I usually start with the guy first, and I look at the guy, and I says, here's what I want you to know. And I say, God desperately loves this woman right here. God loves her so much. And from this day forward, the main way that God is going to show his love to her is through how you love her. You are going to be God's amb main ambassador of his care and love for your spouse from this day forward. Whoa, that's heavy. That's beautiful. But man, that's, that's, that's heavy. That's That's amazing. That God's going to show his great love through her, and he loves her so much. And he's not going to do it just by showering, you know, like uh, showering gifts down every morning. God's going to do it by, by, by putting this dude in her life. And he's, an, he's imperfect, and he, but, but he's given him this, this mission through you. Through you is going to be one of, one of the main ways that I'm going to show my love to her. And then I, then I look at her and I say, God desperately loves this man. And from this day forward, the main way that God's going to express and show his great love to him is through how you love him. Wow. And Paul is saying the exact same thing, that the church of Jesus Christ is not just here to put together church services. As important as church services are, 
but he has given us, the church of Jesus Christ, a mission in the world to reconcile people to God because we have been reconciled to him. That's incredible. And then he finishes with this, which is sort of like, like icing on the cake. He says this, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness and the reconciled of God. Uh, to me, to me, this informs what a, the church of Jesus is supposed to be about. And certainly for us as Westside, this informs who we want to be. So our mission, our goal, and will continue to be our mission and our goal here at our church is this, is to reconcile people to God step by step. Reconcile people to God. That is our great aim. That is our goal. We want people to be reconciled to their maker, to see how great he is, to be so enamored with his great grace and love for us. We want people to be reconciled to God step by step because we know, we know that many of us are in different steps and some of us is going to take just a few steps just to even get convinced that we can even trust this or that, you know, that we can even, you know, for some people it just takes a lot of steps before they can even get to the place where they say, God, I trust you. After most services here at Westside, I'll ask. Usually the lights are low and it's at the end and I'll say, who, who, wants, to, who wants to step into faith this morning? Who just wants to make that declaration? Put your hand up. And usually people's eyes are open because I, I kind of don't like the heads up, seven up thing, you know, where like people's heads are down and not looking. Because I kind of feel like, man, if there's any place where we can boldly say, my, this is my life, it's, it's, it's here. So I just, I like it when people's eyes are open. But, you know, sometimes I ask that and nobody puts their hand up. And, and a few people have told me before that like when nobody puts their hand up, like you, you get nervous, like you kind of get sad for me, you know, or like nervous, like, like, oh man, no, it was a good message. We, you know, don't feel bad. Um, but I never feel bad. You know why? It's because every once in a while, somebody's ready. The soil's right. And somebody says, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I see it for the first time. In fact, maybe I've even been in church for years, but today I realize the difference between religion and following Jesus, and I want to follow Jesus. But you know why I'm fine if no hands go up? You know why? It's because I know there's steps, a process. I want us to be a church where you come in and you're just like not, if you're not convinced, I want you to feel like you're welcome here. I want you to feel like that I'm speaking to you in a way where, where I acknowledge your viewpoint and, and uh, I want to take you whatever next step it is, and maybe it'll take two years. Or maybe, or maybe it'll take 10 years. I don't want it to take 10 years, but maybe it'll take 10 years of you coming sporadically and just slowly but surely, step by step, and finally, 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 you're ready to say, I want to follow Jesus. I see how great he is. I see how good he is. Sign me up. So our mission is always to be reconcile people to God step by step. So three things. Three things I'm just, I'm, I'm praying for for us for this year, for 2019 as a church. Three things I'm asking you to, to do. Three things that, I, that I just, I'm praying that we do. Um, here they are. First is this. Number one is I want us to be reconciled to God. I want us to be reconciled to God. I want you to be reconciled to God. I want our times on Sunday mornings to be times where we gather and we remind our hearts about the gospel. We take communion so often, and that's going to continue. 
because I feel like there's something beautiful coming to God's table on a regular basis. The church I grew up in, we would take it once a month, and once a month is great. Um, I got nothing against churches that do it once a month. It's fine. But at our church, we're going to take it most weeks. We'll take some breaks here and there, but most weeks because you come to the table and you remind, you get your heart reminded that we are a family, that he has invited me to the table. We get to be reconciled to God. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That wasn't a child. That was an animal, but it's okay. We're, God bless you. We want to be open to animals here too, I guess. Um, uh, be reconciled to God. It's number one. Number two. Number two is this. I want us to be reconciled to each other. I want us to be reconciled not only to God, but I want us to be reconciled to each other. How does that look? Well, it just, I mean, it looks, like, it looks like community. It looks like knowing each other. Um, you know what it takes to actually be a community and know each other? It takes boldness. It takes courage. It means you got to think about this. It means that you're going to need to invite somebody over to your house for dinner. <gasps> oh, my gosh. It's so scary. You mean I just have to like go up and talk to somebody and like get to you know, like ask them their name? Yeah. It means like after a little bit I'm gonna invite them over and we're gonna have a meal. Yeah. It's like that's those. It's those steps. That's what it takes. Let's be reconciled, not only to God but reconciled to one another. That's what the gospel does. So we got these small groups starting soon. That's one of the ways to do it. You don't have to be in a small group for you to you know for you to really belong here at our at our church. But man, this is a great opportunity. Maybe just like there's something that's scary about that for you. Like what if I get plopped into a group or I don't fit? Whatever. We'll get you in another group. We'll, we'll figure it out. But hey, let's, let's get you in a smaller group where we can be loving each other, caring about each other. And can I tell you, one of the things I'm most proud about our church, one of the things I know we do so well <laughs> is, uh, is every time somebody has a baby, um, we, we just, we do, we do, I feel like we do a really great job at our church. Whenever somebody has a baby or when people are sick, there's just an army of people who are ready to bring meals to people. So we do these meal, tra meal trains. You've done one of those before, right? You know, you just you follow the link. And so the last couple of births that, that happened in our church, I'm like, oh, the so-and-so's had a baby. I want to, I want, we're going to bring him a meal. And so I get on the meal train and they're all taken up. They're all done already. I can't even get on, on the train because they're already, everybody's already on board. I'm like, man, I wanted to bring something. But you know what I love is that just our church is like, no, I'm bringing them something first. No, I'm doing it next week. I'm doing it twice. I love that. I'm so excited for that to just develop and continue. Not, and think about this, not just for insiders, not just for the people here. What if we were the kind of church where if your neighbor has a baby or if your neighbor's sick and you're like, hey, what if our church brings them some meals too? What if, what if we care for them? Yeah, let's do that. Let's just bring a lot of people a lot of meals this year. Let's bring a lot of people a lot of flowers in the hospital this year. Let's bring a lot of people a lot of, a lot of care from our church because he has reconciled us to him. Therefore, we can be reconciled to one another. And then the third thing that I want us to do, be reconciled to God, be reconciled to each other. And lastly, I want us to be reconciled to our city, to our city. Um, one of the areas where I'm excited to grow, where, one of the areas where I think we can be better is how we impact our city. We love Eugene. We love the city that we're in. We are glad to be here. Uh, when we were moving to Eugene uh, from, from Seattle, we told some people like, hey, we're moving to Eugene. And there was a couple of people that were like, oh, what a dark place. The spiritual forces around, I would never live there. So demonic. 
And I was like, no, like that's the, that's the best place to be, right? I mean, we, like, we love Eugene. We're, we're not going to look at our, our, at our city and say, oh, get away. No, we love our city. God's placed us here. So how are we going to impact our city? Does our city know that Westside exists? Does our neighborhood know that Westside exists? Not because we've invited them, but because we're serving them in practical ways. And there's so many ways to do that in our city. I got, I've taken a bunch of you on, on tours of the Eugene Gospel Mission this last year. And I want to take some more, bring some of you on some more tours. Because once you go and you take a tour and you see what they do, and you see the heart behind what, the, what they do, you're, you're a little bit hooked. You're like, how can, I, how can I help? What can I do? This is amazing. And it's right here in our backyard. We could spend tons of money going on mission trips. And I hope we go on mission trips to other countries. But we got a mission right in our backyard <laughs> that we get to serve. So I want, to be, I want to be indispensable to our city. How do we be reconciled to our city? There's so many ways to do that. Now, here's my last bit of encouragement. Is this, we will never become the kind of church that we want to be if we rely on just the pastor or the paid staff to, be the, to, to do the mission. That is not how the church of Jesus is run. Okay, what my job description is really clear. It comes from the book of Ephesians. I read it sometimes because I get confused sometimes about what my role is. Um, my role is to equip God's people for acts of service. That's the role of the pastor is we are going to create disciples and then we're going to launch you out to go be ministers. In fact, this was a radical idea in the, in the time of the Reformation in the 16, you know, 15, 1600s because it was the paid clergy. They were the only people that had access to the scriptures. They were the only people and they, they were the only ones that read Latin. And so, you know, you'd come to church and everything was in Latin. And so there was this huge discrepancy between the, the leaders of the church and the, and the, and the, the, the people. And then reformers came along, one like, like Martin Luther and many others that said, no, 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 we have to recapture this thing that's deeply biblical. It's the priesthood of all believers. It's that we are all ministers. We're all called into the field. And so how this won't work is if, is if you say, if, you come to, if you're a part of Westside and you're like, man, I wish our church would serve our city more. I think they should put something together and then, and have a sign-up, and then I'll sign up, and then, then, then I'll do it. But, man, it's, it's, it's a bummer I can't serve my city because my church isn't, doesn't have a sign-up for one of those right now. That would, that, that would be a bad way of looking at it. Because if you just depend on us to put all that stuff together, we're, we're, we're going to miss stuff. We're, we're going we're gonna to sort of be behind. Listen, you're on the front lines. You get to look at your city and say, how can I be a blessing? How can I serve? i got one last story, and then I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing. And we're going to take communion and be reconciled to God and remind our hearts. But I want to tell you a story. Um, the year is 1519. And a very famous guy named Hernan Cortez from Spain is in Central America. And he sets his eyes on, in 1519, he sets his eyes on the Aztec capital for the first time. He sees this Aztec civilization. He's, a, he's you know, the, the conquistadors are coming over from Spain, and he sees the Aztecs. And the Aztecs at this time have a very sophisticated um, culture. They've got aqueducts. They've got roads. They've got big buildings. They have, they have uh, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of, th of thousands of people in their civilization. And Cortez goes to the leader, Montezuma, and basically says, hey, we're going to be in charge now or die. And Montezuma didn't like that arrangement. And so Cortez kills Montezuma. Within two years, 
just two years, this great civilization of the Aztecs was, was uh, completely fell, completely, completely to the ground in just two years. And just 20 years later, the same thing happens with the Incas. Great, big civilization. They kill the leader, and then the civilization crumbles within just a short period of time. The Spanish conquistadors at this time are unstoppable. They have a, a huge army. I mean, they're just, and they're heading north. And they're heading north. And they head north, and they reach a people that they cannot understand, and they cannot defeat. They encounter the Apaches. And the Spanish were held off from advancing any further by the Apaches for two centuries. And the Apaches were an absolutely different kind of culture. They were not organized like the Incas and the, the Aztecs. They didn't have roads. They didn't have aqueducts. What made them different was the way that they were organized, the way that they were structured. And there's this great book, this leadership book that I use in a lot of my classes, and it's called The Starfish and the Spider. And this story is in that book, and I find it so helpful. In fact, check it out. Here's the story. Is there's some organizations that are like spiders and some that are like starfish. If you take a spider and you chop off the head, guess what happens? It's dead. <laughs> the legs don't move. It's done, right? The head's gone. It's dead. It's gone. But do you know that there's some starfish in the world where it's so fascinating? You can cut off an arm, and that arm will turn into its own starfish. And the other one will just grow one back. In fact, there's some starfish, you can chop them up in 20 pieces, and it'll turn into 20 starfish. That's incredible, right? Why? Because this, this, the, the, uh, the starfish doesn't really have a head. All of its DNA are pushed all the way out into the fringe. Every single cell has everything it needs to understand who it is and what it's supposed to do. That, West Side, is the kind of church that's going to change the world. That's the kind of church that's going to change our community. That's the kind of church that we want to be as Christ followers. That you do not follow me. I'm just a guy. I'm just a pastor. I'm going to, we're going to do our best as a team. And we've got a great staff, and we're just, we're just trying hard. We're working hard. We're trying to think of stuff. But, I mean, you're not following us. No, we're all following Jesus together. And if I'm gone tomorrow, guess what? The church marches on because the church is not about a person. It's about the mission that Jesus gave us. To reconcile people to God step by step. What's most important, the substance or the packaging? Hey, let's be a church that has great substance. We're going to point people to the gospel of Jesus. And what if we package ourselves to bring down walls, bring down barriers, so that people can get close enough to see how great Jesus is?